Good morning. My name's Nan Clark, excuse me, and I'm one of the pastors and I help out in pastoral care here at Third. I'm grateful to be here with you today to share God's word. So typically in our Advent focus, we look at the waiting for the birth of Christ, but this season we've been focusing more on Christ's second coming. And what we've learned so far in the last two weeks is that the Jewish people expected the Messiah to usher in God's glorious kingdom in one fell swoop. The present age would end and the new age of God's reign would begin. What they didn't expect was that the kingdom would come in two stages, what we learned to call the already and the not yet. So God's kingdom has already come because of Jesus' death and resurrection, but it hasn't come yet in its fullness. So today we're looking at another waiting story. We'll be reading from Matthew 25, 1 through 13 that you'll find on page 6 if you'd like to read along. And I apologize that we left out the last verse of the um, parable which is the most important verse probably because it's kind of the punchline. So I'm just going to read it at the end as we go through. So hear God's word today. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things I like to do when I read or study a biblical text like this is to ask questions. We have to remember that this text was written over 2,000 years ago and in a very different culture than ours. So asking questions can help us enter their world and understand how the scripture spoke to them. Then we can better understand how it might speak to us in the present. So we're going to ask some questions today. We'll look at three different kinds of questions. Questions about the original context, questions about how the disciples would have heard the parable, and questions about how the parable still speaks to us. Let's start with the context questions. 
First off, why does Jesus even tell parables? They're not something new that he invented. They were often used by the Old Testament prophets as a way to illustrate the message that God was speaking through them to his people. Parables can be short sayings, as we've seen in the last uh, two weeks, or they can be stories like we have today. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses these parables to illustrate or reinforce in a vivid and memorable way his teaching on the kingdom of God. So what we have to do is look back to the preceding chapter to understand the teaching that this parable is illustrating. The disciples asked Jesus what will happen before he establishes his kingdom. They expect, like I've already said, it will be any day now. And in response, Jesus gives a somewhat long and frankly quite confusing answer to that question. But the gist of it is this. They should expect a lengthy time of waiting characterized by social and political upheaval, natural disasters, wars, false messiahs and prophets, hatred, betrayal, persecution, increased wickedness, and a waning love for God. Not at all what the disciples are hoping for. So the parable is an illustration of how Jesus is encouraging them to live during this unexpected time of waiting for his return. Our second question is, why does Jesus tell a parable about a wedding? For a parable to work, it has to have a point of reference that makes sense to its audience. You may remember that at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus and his disciples went together to a wedding in the town of Cana. They knew the local traditions, but their traditions are different from ours. In our culture, weddings are all about the bride. For them, it was all about the groom. In fact, it was the responsibility of the groom and his father to make all the wedding arrangements the total opposite of ours, and one I think my dad would have loved because, like Corey, he had four daughters. <laughs> On the evening of the wedding, the bridegroom would process with his friends from his house to the bride's house for the official wedding ceremony. Unlike our weddings, or our church services for that matter, that are timed down to the minute, they had a much more relaxed attitude towards time. So at some point, the wedding party would leave the bride's house and process back to the groom's house. By this time, it was dark, so young unmarried women would wait in anticipation with torches to lead the way for the procession. Now the absence of precise timing would heighten the air of expectancy and would require and would require prep preparation in the event of a delay. Once they arrived at the home of the groom, there would be an elaborate banquet dinner with music and dancing, and often the celebrations could last up to a week. This joyful air of expectancy and the possibility of delay make this wedding 
uh, event an ideal subject for a parable about Jesus' return. So we know what a parable is and why Jesus tells one about a wedding. Let's look now at questions about how the disciples would have heard this parable. Our first question is, how does the parable actually work? Well, it compares the readiness required for participation in a wedding celebration to the readiness required for participation in the coming kingdom of God. Just as the 10 young women did not know the exact time of the bridegroom's arrival, so the disciples will not know the exact time of Jesus' return. The women with the torches represent two kinds of people waiting for Jesus to return. Five of them are wise. They are sensible, thoughtful about the responsibility entrusted to them. They know the bridegroom is sometimes unexpectedly delayed, and so they anticipate and prepare for that possibility by bringing extra oil. The other five are thoughtless and careless. They do not prepare for an unexpected delay, and so when their oil runs out, they have no light to help guide the procession. By the time they find oil, it's too late and they miss out on the joyous wedding celebration. Our second question is how does this fit with the context of the turmoil Jesus described in response to their question about the coming kingdom? This waiting story illustrates that the disciples will have to stick with it even when they're persecuted. They will have to be thoughtful and careful so that they can recognize the deception of false prophets and messiahs. And they will have to keep their hearts from growing cold and discouraged as wickedness seems to be increasing and even winning. They will have to be like the wise young women, expecting and prepared for an indeterminate time before Jesus returns. If we had time to read on in, the ne- in this chapter, we'd see that Jesus also describes readiness in two other ways. One is being faithful with the gifts and gospel work that he has entrusted to them. The other is extending grace and compassion and mercy to others. This is wisdom. This is readiness for when Jesus, the bridegroom, returns and welcomes them into the joy of his kingdom. Two choices, wisdom or foolishness. We dare not miss the warning at the end of the parable. Imagine if there was an unfinished bridge being built across the James River, and there were no warning signs to stop people from driving on it. There would be carnage as cars careened off the unfinished end of the bridge. The warning signs are there to protect them and keep them safe. So Jesus' warning here is not meant to incite fear. It is a gift of mercy that will, if they heed it, protect his disciples and ensure their participation in his kingdom, both now and in the age to come. So we've asked questions about the original context for this parable and questions about how the disciples would have heard and understand it. Now we're ready for our last questions 
about how the parable might still speak to us today. We're like the disciples too, in that we are still waiting. But since it's more than 2,000 years since Jesus promised to come back and renew all things, we live in a different cultural and historic moment than they did. So our first question is, what temptations might we face in light of our bridegroom's delay? One temptation to which many have succumbed is complacency. Many of the signs of the end of the age that Jesus talked about are still happening. But in other ways, the world is much easier and a safer place in which to live than it was 2,000 years ago. As we go about our daily lives and routines, it's easy to lose that sense of urgency that we see in the New Testament. So how many of you have ever played Monopoly? I like Monopoly. I like to win too, but I never do. (laughs) I never can get the money right. (laughs) Remember that get out of jail free card? A few years ago, a friend gave me this little card and there it is on the screen. You know, the little, sometimes you could get a chance card and you get out of jail free card. See the little guy? That's a chance man. Um, But this is a get out of hell free card. And on the back, it says, it works for all seven plus one sins. Sloth, pride, wrath, lust, gluttony, greed, envy, and stupidity. Which probably, in light of today's story, we would call foolishness. It's foolish because it represents a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. Putting our trust in Jesus is not fire insurance. It's living in relationship with him every day. We experience already new creation life as we invite the Holy Spirit in to transform us and work in our hearts. And we anticipate the fullness of life we will experience in the future when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. You may be here today and maybe you haven't understood the gospel this way. If the Holy Spirit is nudging you to have this kind of relationship with Jesus, I'd encourage you to speak with somebody, one of us up front, or come up for prayer after the service. Another temptation is hyper-urgency. Some folks focus so much on the not yet that they forget that they're still living in the already. Now, this might surprise you, but when Boyd and I first came to faith, we were young and just married, and we decided that we didn't need to buy life insurance. We actually enjoyed meeting with insurance salespeople because it was an opportunity for us to tell them why we didn't need it, and they did. We, we truly did not expect to die because we believed Jesus was coming any day. But the sad thing is our goal was to escape this world. We undervalue the goodness of God's creation and the role as stewards, our our role as stewards in all areas of life. And I have to say, I'm really glad that we, the Lord led us to people who taught us those things because we were so heavenly focused that we actually were no earthly good. 
So in face of these temptations, what should we do? Let's hear again Jesus' exhortation to keep watch, to be ready, because we still don't know the hour or the day when he'll return. And even though it is more than 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words, I think readiness for us actually looks pretty much like it did for them. Expect it to be hard and stick with it. Have courage and be steadfast. Guard our hearts. Faithfully use the gifts and callings that God has entrusted to us, remembering that we all have different gifts and callings and extend grace and mercy to one another and to those in need. Living in the already, not yet, means we live in attention, being ready at all times while not knowing when the one we're waiting for will come. But one thing is sure, he will come. And if we are ready to join in the joyful procession, we will, go, we will join in the joyful procession into the fullness of God's kingdom. In just a few minutes, the choir is going to bless us with the Gloria. Glory, God's glory, seen in the first coming of his son and yet to be seen in his second coming. On that day, God's glory will fill the whole earth Let's continue to wait in readiness and expectation for the fullness of God's glory to be revealed when Jesus returns. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your promise to return and make all things new. We thank you that even as we wait, you are present with us. You are light in our darkness hope in our despair, wisdom in our confusion. Give us grace to stick with you and your purposes. Help us to wait in expectation and readiness until you come and establish God's kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven. We pray for our offering now as we prepare to give. Bless our gifts and multiply them for your kingdom work. We pray particularly for the ministry of Together for Tanzania. Thank you for the vision they have. Grant wisdom and grace to those who lead and cause their work to prosper. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen.